Three, two, one. Other ball. All right, you want you want to start us off? All right, hello everyone, and welcome to Other Ball, the podcast where me and Hassan shoot the shit for half an hour, pretty much. <laughs> um, and this is Danny. Yes, this is my sonorous voice. <laughs> And, and this is Hassan. <laughs> I promise we'll get better at this, y'all. <laughs> All right. How you doing, Danny? I'm doing pretty good. Um, All things considered, I'm missing my sport time outside. But yeah. yeah, all things considered in the middle of a pandemic, pretty good. Yeah, definitely. It's It's such a huge bummer. Like, you ever, like, there's, like, tiredness from physical activity. And then when you don't do any physical activity for... A really long time like i feel like when you're just stuck at home you're just tired yeah and you you haven't done anything to earn that tiredness yeah i see i'm kind of like one of those large working breed dogs that starts destroying things when i get too bored <laughs> in my case i've started making really weird art projects are you talking about the ones where you uh where you sew some like weird demonic creatures that look like the devil thing from uh what is it disenchanted or whatever? Yeah, see, you'd think that's one of those. And I have made the Eric a Andre thing. Yeah, uh, Disenchantment, I think. Which, by the way, great show. Yeah, it's pretty good. Probably not sponsored by them, but it's great. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if Disenchant, if that's even what it's called, Disenchanted, Eric Andre, if Eric Andre wants to come on this podcast and, <laughs> and sponsor us, you are more than welcome. You can you can say whatever you want. Just just come on here, <laughs> please we're lonely (laughs) (laughs) but now i've done i've done that i've thought it would be a really great idea to make a three foot long worm on a string oh hell yeah for easter no just just (laughs) because um yeah so that's what i've been doing (laughs) (laughs) i I miss sports um what have you been up to so far though um, I've been taking I've been taking Russian lessons and I've been playing The Witcher, um, the first game, um, because we watched The Witcher show a while back when it first came out and we kind of went through the whole season. It was really good, and then I started playing the first game yesterday, and it's super clunky and, and aged and everything. It's 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 not pretty. Yeah. Um, but the story is the story is really good, and it was interesting. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, that's um. I think that's what made me really like The Witcher as a series for like both the video game games and the um TV show. They're just they're very good storytelling. And yeah. That's kind of like what I dig in video games and media in general. Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was really cool that I recognized the Striga scene um in the show, you know, when he's like luring the guy in like the castle area and fighting the like undead Striga that's stuff like that no spoilers and then in the game that's actually the very first cutscene that happens so uh me and my partner were watching it and we were like wait a minute we've already watched this but it's henry cavill doing it not <laughs> not like a polygon animated Geralt from like 2000 whatever 2005 or whatever year this came out just try to hold into the graphics for a little while once you get to wild hunt it's fantastic um, yeah, that's that's two games away though. <laughs> yeah, you can you can do it. I have faith. And there's this there's this stance that Geralt holds in the first game <laughs> called like a power stance or something like that, where he's like crab walking with the sword over his head, and it looks so ridiculous. It's I I love it. Like I mean, the, how there's so many broken power? animations. It's great. Like I mean, that's how I look when I try to be intimidating, and I think it works. So yeah. <laughs> Just the wide stand, the mountain pose. Listen, the wider you are, the harder it is to push over. And then That's when you true. add a sword, you're just that much scarier. That's true. Like the crab with the that grabs the knife out of the guy's hand. Exactly. That means That's, yeah. that's like the true pinnacle fighter yeah. body type. Oh, I'd like to say rest in peace to Rick May, who is the voice of Soldier in Team Fortress 2, which is a beloved series that Danny and I have played for quite a while um if you don't know rick may he as i said before he did the voice for soldier 
Um, and a couple other things, which I honestly don't know. I just know him from Team Fortress 2. He passed away from uh, COVID-19 a couple days ago. So that's that's been really sad. I've been going through a bunch of his like old quotes. And honestly, they're gold. Like They're just really, really good really good lines i don't know if they wrote them for him or if that or if he just kind of ad-libbed them but he was really a talent and it's sad to see him go and i hope i hope valve does something about it like some kind of memorial or update or something like that just to recognize his uh his contribution to the game yeah this is like all joking aside this is a really tragic situation we're all going through and just a general shout out i really hope everyone's doing okay me and my mom like actually contracted it a while ago we're both doing really okay we got really lucky with a super mild case but even after that it's i can't imagine how much worse it's getting right now so lots of love to everybody out there that's either struggling with the disease or sorry with the virus or someone or struggling with someone who is currently suffering from it y'all are absolutely stellar and sending a ton of love to you guys right now yeah, except the people that are like intentionally spreading it, like yeah, those like those pastors that um, are making <laughs> church and all that. No, fuck, fuck those guys. Yeah, um, everyone but those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, let's kick off. Uh, we actually have each come with two individual sports and have not been talking to each other about them. Um, so I don't know what Danny's sport is going to be, and Danny only knows the name of the sport that I'm going to be doing. Uh, if you, Danny, you want to go ahead first because I honestly have no idea. And the more, the more you like hit to me what it is, the more I'm confused. So I, I would definitely like for you to go ahead. Oh, I'm so excited! Also, to anyone here that actively speaks Welsh, I am so sorry. I'm about about to butcher at least two words in Welsh right now, and oh, I did my level best. I'm so sorry. <laughs> perfect. Um. So what we're thinking of moving forward for like just a general side note for this podcast is we're kind of shifting between a couple ideas of how we want to run episodes just to kind of introduce to y'all what we were kind of thinking. So sometimes we're thinking about talking, both doing our own research about one large sport and making that the kind of focal point of each episode. And then like we're doing for this episode, thinking about kind of just comparing notes on two very different sports that we kind of got interested in and did our own personal research for and then kind of discussing them on a very cursory level between each other just to kind of mix it up a little bit so the sport or i guess in this case it's more of a competition um that i chose is the man versus horse marathon in um (laughs) clanerted wells wales (laughs) so the whole idea of human versus horse in a race is not unique to um, Wales. It's something that's been kind of questioned around the world for a significant period of time. I remember reading one of the earliest like man versus horse races was the 1800s. But currently there's, at least from what I found, at least three other like regular races that occur throughout the world in Scotland, New Zealand, even in um, Arizona, in the United States. And the reason I wanted to kind of focus on the one in Wales is because the way it was started is just honestly my favorite thing. I think most things should be kind of like have its origins in how this race started because it is hilarious. So in 1980, in the um, Nave Arms Hotel in um, Clanerted Wells, Wales, Basically, two folks were having a discussion in this hotel pub (laughs) about whether or not over a long-distance mountainous terrain race, if a human or a horse would win. Um, And basically, the owner of the pub, Gordon Green, kind of took that idea (laughs) because that is fantastic in every single way. (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. Was the the owner in that argument or was he just overhearing like two guys at a table from what i understand from reading a couple things and watching a couple episodes or videos on it he overheard it and some say he joined in on it some say he was part of it it's bar tales are not necessarily known for their consistent storytelling (laughs) can you can you imagine how cheated 
those like guys arguing at the bar must feel if that was if that was the bartender who just overheard them while like passing out some beers. Well, the problem is like, huh. <laughs> yeah, I can see that being irritating. <laughs> but the whole point of this was to really kind of help generate um, tourism for the town itself because it's relatively small, um, fairly rural. It's like it's like if you picture like very stereotypical Welsh town. That's kind of what this drew up for me. Um, it's a beautiful area. I had a lot of fun, kind of like flipping through some of like the scenery, like scenery photos. It's absolutely gorgeous. Um, now, as, as someone that's not familiar with with uh, Welsh geography, I only know that they have very sometimes have very long town names. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm picturing right now just like a just like a Lord of the Rings Shire. <laughs> type location just rolling hills and trees and stuff like that well but it's not it's not a quite like that <laughs> <laughs> so um like it does have a like a small town center um but it also has some really beautiful mountainous terrain rolling hills lots of very fluffy sheep while i was looking through this um and it it's it just looks like a very beautiful very calm welcoming space so just to also disclaim we are not currently <laughs> sponsored by the town of clinerton wells this is oh but community. town of clinerton wells if you would like to get on this podcast and and defend yourself um please do but it's a very lovely spot and even though i've never been there i just visually would recommend it because it looks absolutely gorgeous but back to the <laughs> back to the pub bet so basically, what then happened was it kind of became a ongoing thing that happened every year, starting in 1918, is scheduled for this year to happen later in the fall, just kind of depending on what the situation is um, with COVID-19. It may or may not occur, but regardless, it's been happening for 40 years. Um, and the whole premise of it is basically if uh, you take a group of humans and a group of horses, and they run about a 22-mile course. It's a little bit longer for the horses. And by the end of it, whoever has the fastest time wins. And as I'm sure you can guess, <laughs> it's normally the horses that win. However, it's not necessarily that big of a distance between the top times for the humans and the horses. So in... The only time so thus far, we've only had two humans actually beat the horses in the race. Um, the first time was um, a man named Hugh Loeb, um, Hugh Lobb, excuse me, in 2004, who ran a time of two hours, five minutes and 19 seconds. And then again, in 2007, a man named Florian Holzinger ran a two hour, 20 minute, 30 second um, race time to beat all of the humans and probably 40 plus horses. <laughs> In Wait, this, out of out of how many horses you said? Um, it varies year to year, but I think at this point in the more recent years, it's been at least forty entrants for horses. So, um, how does? Wait, so you're saying the horses have different ha, can sometimes have different like lengths that they have to go compared to humans? How is that? How okay. is that fair? I feel cheated as a <laughs> as a horse, <laughs> as if I were a horse. That is. <laughs> By that, I mean it's slightly longer due to terrain issues. So it's a very mountainous terrain, so sometimes humans and horses have to take slightly different routes. But that's purely because it's kind of hard for horses to climb a bunch of rock and rubble, like physically like rock climb to get over things from how I understand it. Because this entire situation includes climbing, wading through like waist-high water in some streams, um, and the whole idea of this, this is not just mount, like, this is not just flat terrain. Um, do the, do very, the horses have riders, or is it yes. like they just let, okay, yeah. <laughs> they're not just letting the horses go? No, they don't just let them run wild. So the whole idea is they're trying to find a way to make it as even a competition as possible between the horses and the humans. So sometimes if a human has to, like, climb over a rock wall or something, the horse might have to travel like a little bit farther it's it's not an uneven fight basically um and then at the same time you have a hundred plus pound human being on the back of a horse um kind of guiding them so there's like a lot of give and take between 
both like human and horse doing that, which is kind of getting into what I really was excited about kind of talking about for my section of the podcast was looking at human anatomy because that really heavily plays into whether or not the humans or the horses win each time. Obviously, horses are amazingly fast animals. They are strong, but they're also kind of like a glass cannon in the sense that they're most kind of like open plains animals or prey animals, which horses are included in, are kind of more sprinter animals, whereas a lot of larger predators, which humans are included in, are more pursuit predators. And by that, that's how we kind of look back into our evolutionary history to kind of support how we've developed as incredible runners with incredible stamina. Basically, humans are designed to run marathons. And it's a mixture of a lot of kind of like um, anatomical elements. So we have an inner ear structure called the semicircular canal that helps maintain balance. We have really springy tendons as compared to other primate species, which helps us conserve energy by kind of bouncing when we run. And as such, expend less energy actually moving and rapidly running. And then looking at how our, um, like our lower body is structured because we have a relatively smaller weight or narrow waist with very large um, like upper leg gluteus maximus muscles. All of that kind of has us designed to be superior pursuit predators, which is why humans survived for so long. Right. Like they can just out, like they can just outrun things over a distance is what you're saying. Basically like, so when our kind of earlier ancestors came down from living in trees and started living kind of more on open plains, We didn't have any weapons. We didn't have sharp teeth. We weren't, um, like, we couldn't keep up with even some of the slowest running animals. Like, a house cat is faster than, at its top speed, is faster than pretty much every human. Actually, they are faster than every human. I think their top speed is about 30 miles per hour. Yeah. Um, And then, thus far, the fastest human that we have in modern day, Usain Bolt, I think his top speed is 28 miles per hour. But regardless... Most prey animals that we kind of establish as prey animals, so larger animals, like more equine animals, they are sprinters. They are not long distance. And this comes down to one of the biggest reasons why um, humans have done so well in long distance running, especially in this marathon, comes down to the ability to sweat. So humans are able to cool our bodies and kind of self-regulate by sweating, whereas animals like horses need to stop and pant to regulate themselves. They can't actually sweat. So what we've noticed for the race itself, conditions play a massive role in how well humans versus horses kind of do at the end of this race. So with really hot, humid, or really hot, humid conditions, each time that we've had a human win thus far, it's been really hot out. And okay, that's <laughs> yeah. So it's okay. very weather climate dependent on basically how who we're expecting to win, whether it's a human or a horse, because of these biological structures that we've evolved to be these amazing pursuit predators. I I wouldn't say that it's so the horses win every time except for when it's really hot. So it sounds more like the humans are climate dependent on on it being hot so that they can win because otherwise they lose all the time but you can also flip that saying horses are really heavily dependent on living in cooler kind of like more suitable conditions where they won't be successfully beat by a human so it's in general these kind of human versus animal competitions are very hard to apply because you always have to have some sort of caveat to make sure something's even or not. And that's kind of, in a lot of ways, impossible to really recreate, which is why I found this so unbelievably fascinating and so bizarre and so cool. I think, I think we, we need to admit that we're not as physically good as other animals. Like, if, if a horse can, can beat humans, even in like a long distance marathon, I think that you know like hunters had to had to hunt things sometimes for days like that's if you ask me that's not that's not very efficient 
maybe I'm wrong. Maybe some like uh, paleontologists or uh, prehistory prehistorians can come and prove me wrong. Please come on the podcast and sponsor us. Um, <laughs> But, sponsorship episode shit yeah <laughs> um but like you're telling me that this is like weighed so heavily in the horse's favor unless it's hot so i raise this what if the riders right they carry ice packs with them on those hot days and <laughs> when it gets hot and the horses start panting immediately you just clamp on the ice you get the battery powered fans you get things running <laughs> You you just douse them with water and then they and then they just cool off and they go. Well, because I, I like is water allowed for the humans? Because that's yeah, like of that's it's, our, it's a marathon. Um, but so I, then it's allowed for the horses. So what's stopping me from like having a bunch of water on me, ice water, and just dumping it on the horse every time it gets tired? Well, and then the horse you also have to factor time. in how much weight you're carrying. Because if you have a hundred plus pound human being riding a horse. Adding uh-huh. extra weight does so we get a child to do it. I would not want to put a child through <laughs> a, a fairly difficult twenty-two mile race. <laughs> I, we've got we've got the the ideal athlete for this sport, which is a a skinny small child with like several gallons of water <laughs> of ice water to weigh them down, just. <laughs> And this horse just hauling ass across the mountains. And they can't be beat. It's already been perfected. I'm going to go join this race uh, next year when they start it. And I'm going to find a kid and be like, hey, kid, take this jug of water and just go. (laughs) And I'm putting my money on that horse. (laughs) (laughs) Well, regardless, I'm I'm coming for you. Even during times that favor the horses, there hasn't been a very dramatic difference in times like it's been a couple minutes normally there's like one or two horses that come in ahead of everybody else but then there's a group of like five six seven humans that come in next fastest so it's not necessarily a completely uneven race it's a little bit absurd just do they have any rules against doping yes i mean i think so i i think it's general (laughs) marathon rules i I don't (laughs) I'm going to be honest, um, like, yes, there's a pretty substantial prize um, payoff. I think um, it's estimated for 2020 it was supposed to be 35,000 pounds. What? I, I, it started out as 500, so it's grown exponentially. So, so what's, so what's <laughs> stopping me from, like, hiding some, like, adrenaline needles or whatever, like, in my backpack or something like that? And just like halfway through the marathon when no one's looking to shove it in the horse's leg and just kick it off and go. I think normally the good spirit of running. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, there are people that dress up in like full on horse costumes running just for shits and giggles. Like this is not a serious, like it's serious in the sense it's a very physically demanding athletic competition, but you're erasing a horse. Over a mountain. I'm, I'm. I don't think I'm it, not buying it. I'm gonna go across this course and I'm gonna bury a bunch of like bottles of water and adrenaline needles and and stuff like that. And every so often, I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna lift a rock, pull up an adrenaline needle, put it in my horse, uh, give it some water, and just like haul ass. Maybe like strap yeah. a rocket to it or something like that. Have someone waiting in a motorcycle to pull the horse along. Well, okay, that wouldn't work, but. <laughs> So I think that's considered animal <laughs> abuse. Um, maybe, so maybe I'm like really heavily suggest <laughs> not doing that. It's the American way. If I can, if if I can exploit this, I need to to get that money so I can afford my health insurance. I feel like we should very clearly state that on this podcast we do not condone animal abuse in any no, way. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. <laughs> Um, what I was really excited about for this competition was kind of the really fun question about we're really used to comparing human versus human. What happens when we kind of apply that same athletic, um, competitive drive to other species or, but this is like, this is like, it's like human based standards. Like the long distance running thing is a thing that's almost unique to humans. Like, so, so we're judging horses by human standards. So what's to say, like, 
if we lived in a horse society or we judge things by by horse standards that we have like a competitive hay eating competition or a competitive lifting humans and running on all fours on your back competition. So like I, I feel like it's kind of weird that even when we set this by human standards, humans are still losing. And I think that says something. Well, it's I think that's why they cut, tried to keep it to about 22 miles. So it's a little less than a regular marathon. But they wanted to keep something that could be done in a couple hours to really see who can expend, like, basically how fast humans can be over a set period of time and how horses can test their endurance over a set period of time. So when you kind of break it down, it looks relatively fair, like as fair as something like this can be (laughs) for both parties involved. So it doesn't actually seem like it's kind of like as rigged as it sounds, but yeah, in like in any kind of general competition, like you have to factor in what the climate's like, kind of like physical access, like when we were talking about korfball in our last our last episode, being really tall is very much an asset in that situation. But it's not necessarily the most important element of it. So it gives you a leg up. It doesn't necessarily win the game outright. 30, what did you say? 35,000 pounds or 30,000 pounds? I think it was 35,000. Like it's been raising, I think um, either Hugh Lobb or Florian Holzinger won about 25,000 pounds. Um, I'm very concerned. I'm adding an extra zero there, but I'm going to stick to my guns (laughs) right now. But regardless. What's a zero, right? Yeah, it's it's fine. It's just a zero. Um, But regardless, it's like a pretty decent payoff for this. Yeah, once our once our thousands of listeners uh, (laughs) hear this, there's probably going to be a few marathon runners there that are going to start going to Wales to do this. Well, if you want other reasons to go to um, Clarence to Wells, there is another um, world championship competition held there for the world. So it's the bog snorkeling championship which I have oh. yet to get into because I desperately want to save it for another episode because it looks incredible. Oh, that sounds nasty. Um, but very much like the man versus horse, horse marathon, bog snorkeling oh. is exactly what it sounds like. And I will let you make your own conclu- draw your own conclusions from that because I want to save it for a later one. <laughs> Well, I don't know any I don't know any long distance runners uh, that are famous, but Usain Bolt, if you're listening to this podcast, as I'm sure you are, uh, please don't please don't go to Wales. You'll you'll ruin it for the horses. <laughs> Just avoid the country altogether. <laughs> no, Wales is gorgeous. Please sponsor us. Okay, so moving on from human versus horse anatomy, what have you got for us this week, Hassan? Well, uh, after that riveting explanation of, of humans versus horses, which I'm not fully convinced that it's not entirely human-based, which is, I'm, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it, um, that we're still losing at a sport that is set to human standards <laughs> to <laughs> another species crazy. that doesn't even know what's going on. Good. The horses don't even know what's going on, and they're winning. <laughs> they're like, oh, yeah, I guess we're climbing up this. Uh, no idea. Okay, I'm being fed apples. And there's all these people cheering. <laughs> I mean, it's ideal for me, at least. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be cool with it. Well, once once this gets famous, I'm sure the entire country wills, and the horses will sponsor us. So <laughs> we'll we'll get there. We'll be rolling in it. Um. So <laughs> I'll go ahead and I'll go ahead and start mine. Um. This is a sport that is very uh, near and dear to my heart. Uh. It's called jugger. <laughs> and for those who don't know what jugger is, that's spelled J U G G E R. Um, it is a sport that is based off of the movie The Salute of the Jugger, which was released in the U.S. as The Blood of Heroes, which is, a, I believe, a 1989 movie, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's a 1989 movie. It's a sort of dystopian sci-fi that was kind of a B-movie, but it was made by a very well... Well, he's very well-known now. A screenwriter, his name is... a writer-director, his name is David Webb Peoples, he also wrote uh, Blade Runner in 1982. So he the one of the first movies that he did was The Salute of the Jugger or Blood of Heroes. I'm probably going to call it Blood of Heroes because I'm American. That's the American name. Uh, it's this dystopian thing, and it's deserts everywhere, basically. But they have a fantasy sport that is 
kind of based off some bastardization of football and fencing or something like that. Basically, the way the sport is done is that the way to win the game, in the movie at least, is to play, they're playing with a dog skull, literally a dog skull, like the skull of a, of a dog, and there's a spike on either end of a field. And then the job of each team is to have their quick, and the quick is the only person that can actually touch the dog skull. And it's kind of like a, kind of like a, I don't know what they call them in football, the people that run and score. <laughs> um, they're the only people that can touch it, so they're also the only people that can score. And the way you score is you go and you impale the dog's skull on a spike. And the first team that does it wins. In the movie, it's like golden goal. Like, the first person to do it wins. And the rest of the people on the team all have, like, weapons. And the weapons are, like, clubs and sticks and stabs and stuff like that, what have you. And then only one person on each team can have a chain. And I believe the people with the chain in the movie is called the slow. And their job basically is not only to, you know, hit people with chains, but to protect the quick, basically creating an area of denial by like swinging the chain around in a wide circle. And it's, it's, it's a really good movie. Ad admittedly, it's more of a B movie, but I think the soundtrack is really good and the premise is really good. And the whole idea that they created a sport just for this movie and it's a movie that's like 90 percent about the sport is amazing i've seen the movie like two or three times i plan on watching again soon if you haven't watched it yet the blood of heroes and if you're outside of the u.s salute of the jugger it's really good and i think it's free on voodoo and you could probably find it somewhere else online um but to the real life sport which started in 1995 um it's also called jugger and it's more or less the same rules the quick is still the quick, but instead of a dog skull, they usually have some sort of oblong, like not ball shaped item, uh, either like a plastic dog skull or like some kind of felt oval shaped thing, something shaped similarly. I, I believe it varies depending on who's playing. It might just be like whatever. Um, and instead of a spike, which is super dangerous and probably an OSHA violation, it's more like a platform that's kind of sunken in that they just kind of put it in there. Um, you can't throw it in there. You can't kick it in there, drop it. You have to like place it, which is really important because uh, often teams will stand around the sort of goal and defend it, um, whether it's the other team's quick or someone on defense on the other team. And so the way that the teams are structured in the real life sport is. I'm looking at the Wikipedia page right now. One quick per team who is unarmed and is only allowed to touch the skull. Uh, they Quicks can tackle other quicks, kind of rugby style. Uh, maximum one chain, which is a player armed with a chain. Um, in the real life sport, it's like a sort of rope with a probably like a dodgeball or some kind of soft ball on the end of it. Uh, oh my God, that sounds incredible. I know. Um, and three or four enforcers, which are pretty much everyone else that are armed with their choice of weapons. They can handle the skull with their weapons, but they can't actually grab the skull. So, like, if they wanted to, they could, like, stick a club or a staff out and, like, push the push the skull out of the way. And then substitutes, which you can have up to three for. Um, and the weapons that you can use actually vary by what rules you're using. There's actually a bunch of different rule sets. Um, there's like Australian uh, rules, German rules, American rules, and I think it differs on Spain, France, wherever it's happening. It's big in Europe. It's mostly, this is mostly in Europe, and it's biggest in Germany. So you got stuff like stabs, Q-tips, which are double-ended. You know the Q-tip things, like, you know, when you're playing at like a carnival or whatever, oh, where it's like you've like got like a long staff with two. Knock each other off of the kind of like. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, pretty much that. Uh, a long sword. A short sword and a shield or two short swords so there's a lot of stuff you can use and there's some other names as well on the american and german style stuff but it's all pretty much it's all pretty much the same in idea um some rule sets allow for thrusting other rule sets don't uh it depends on i guess what country you're playing in um, and basically the way that these weapons are used is that it's not only to like touch the ball or whatever with it uh, but you can also hit other players and when you hit other players they have to go down um and it's kind of self-regulated if the like there are referees but like you're expected to self-regulate and the way that timing is done is that instead of like seconds being done 
like actual minutes and seconds and stuff for games. They actually have, just like in the movie, <laughs> rocks being thrown at like a gong every couple seconds. I think it's every 1.5 seconds or something like that, or every three seconds. What? Um, yeah. And so it's so in the movie, they would just have an old guy with a pile of rocks just throwing them at a metal sheet to do timing for the to do timing for the game and the way they would do it is like they would time the game like oh 100 stones three times so like three sections to a game 100 stones each so in the real life sport they have apps that like do it and they just attach to speakers because it you know no one knew that it could be boring and inconsistent to have some guy just throwing rocks at a, at a metal sheet the entire time i I have so many more questions. <laughs> it's but wild. Keep and, going. I. <laughs> um. So when you get hit, when you get hit, you go down for three to five stones, uh, depending on the rules. And if you're hit with the chain, uh, you actually go down for longer. I think so. I think five to eight stones or something like that. I don't know why. I assume it's to give the singular chain more power, uh, which I think is not necessary for someone who has the power of. <laughs> swinging around a chain for an entire game. Okay, so question. In, if you yeah. have, like, a shield or a weapon, can you block the chain? Like, does it have yeah. to touch your body, or does it have to touch anything of your... Like, so kind of like for Quidditch, if the Bledger hits your broom, you're also considered out, or is it kind of different? It has to hit your body. Okay. Uh, so, so if you block with your sword, or you block with your shield, or something like that, it doesn't count. Which has led to some really cool plays I've seen in, like, highlights where uh, the chain would like whip the chain at someone, and that person would stick their sword out and or their staff and wrap the chain around it, and then just like pull it down out of their hands. Okay, or something like that, which is pretty cool. And then also, people can be kept down if you like hold the weapon to them. So if I were to try, if I really wanted someone out of the game, I would hit them with my sword or whatever it is, and they would go down, and then I would stand over them and just hold it onto their body and so they can't get up and their countdown starts once i take my sword off it's got a lot of position denial and area denial just like if you need to pick a player and like keep them out like a player that's causing trouble you can totally do it but on the flip side can your teammates then come and take out the person that's holding you down yeah okay yeah if you're if you're standing up you can be taken down there's no one no one's immune and then Here's the other yeah, question that I'm sure I know the answer to, but I know what I want the answer to be. Are these real swords? <laughs> no, they're, <laughs> they're not real swords. They're like foam. They're like foam and plastic and stuff so that no one's oh. actually heard. I know, right? <laughs> um, but there is, I believe in California, Wasteland Jugger, which is based very closely to the real thing where people are actually using clubs and sticks and chains and people are expected to armor up with like actual armor and helmets and like face coverings and stuff like that. And the skull is probably not a real dog skull, but I imagine they use a skull of another animal or some fake skull, mm -hmm. but that's closer to the real thing. They play on like a dusty field in like some wasteland convention. And it's actually really wild to see. I saw this video of a guy who was like, yeah, I'm really bored with my life and I just want to do this thing. It seems really fun. And then it cuts to him like getting absolutely wrecked. <laughs> you go to California. On the field. Holy shit, I want to play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it it looks it looks like the real thing. Like they have actual weapons and they're actually hitting each other with this with stuff and they're actually wearing armor and they're actually hitting each other with chains. It's wild. In the movie Fantastic. there was It like fulfills my love of very complex like strategic games and also absolute blood sport i'm so like oh my it's god such a blood sport in in the movie in the movie there's an alternative to the chain where it's having two chains instead of one but they're shorter and so near the end of the movie there's this guy who's on a team who's doing that and it's like he's literally just like raking people with chains left and right it's wild but in that one if you get like in the wasteland sport, if you get hit, you don't go down. The only way you'd go down is if you actually got hit hard enough to hit the ground. Oh, I'm so into this. Yeah, so you could like shrug off, <laughs> shrug off a hit if you want, because that's how that's how the like blood sport is. But in in the organized sort of international sport, if you get hit, you go down because people don't want to die. <laughs> um, 
and also in the in in the you know the sports board, the game doesn't end after one goal. Um, it's done over time, so it's kind of like you know every other sport where it's once the time is up, whoever scored the most, okay. which admittedly is preferable to like one score ending the game. Yeah. So what does this look like on an international play level? Like, is there international um, kind of like competition or is it more localized to small regions? Um, so it's biggest in Germany, but there's also in Spain mm-hmm. and they have their own leagues, um, which from what I've seen in uh, the videos that I've been watching and the things I've been reading are pretty volatile um, just because that's what happens when a sport goes from like not known to to more known because more people come in with different ideas of what they want but there are international uh, competitions that i believe one was hosted in germany where teams from spain and ireland and within germany of course play each other um i know of a few teams that may or may not exist anymore i usually when i like to talk about the sport i'll show people a video of uh, zonenkinder playing against Veracos which I think Veracos is a Spanish team and Zonenkinder is a German team. I may be completely wrong, but I know Zonenkinder is definitely a German team by their name. <laughs> it's it's pretty cool. And just seeing it seems like the community is really cool. They're all they're all kind of in touch with uh, David Webb Peoples, if I didn't get his name wrong again. Uh, he thinks it's really cool that people are actually playing the sport that he made up. <laughs> and I was watching this documentary, uh, which is on YouTube. It's called I Am Jugger. And it's actually a really cool documentary to watch. And he talks about how he wasn't really super into sports, but he was really, he really admired the sort of heroism in sports and the sort of the culture around it. And so he wanted to create his own sport for this movie, this science fiction movie. And he came up with it. And then later in the 90s, someone phoned him up and was like, hey, someone's, I just talked to someone who's going to play your sport. And he's like, what? And so he's really happy about that, and he's really supportive of the Jugger community, which is really cool uh, compared to you know J.K. Rowling not really being a fan mm. of the Quidditch community, which is which is weird if you ask me. But she's probably going to retcon it in some way. Uh, J.K. Rowling, if you're listening, you're welcome to come onto the podcast and defend yourself. Please sponsor us. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or, have... or don't, or don't. That's one I'm cool with not getting. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Just pay us. <laughs> Um, but yeah, the sport's really near and dear to my heart, partially because I really love the movie, and another part because I want to play it so badly, but there's no, I can't, I haven't been able to find any teams near me in Massachusetts, but I've been speaking with some, I've been speaking with some people who know about it, who definitely want to do it, but the, of course that's on hold right now. Yeah. So this is something I've been hearing you talk about for at least a year. Yeah. <laughs> and it always sounded interesting, but it never kind of clicked exactly what was going on i just heard blood sport and dog skull and was immediately interested but um this is such a cool like kind of setup and initially it reminded me of like an admittedly much less fleshed out game in another um sci-fi movie so this movie itself is starship troopers um one of my friends in high school absolutely adored the movie and i've seen it several times as a result what's up kieran i still love that movie (laughs) um but it's called Jump Ball, which is, again, very similar to American football, but with Jump more- Ball? Like Jump J-U-M-P? Ball. Yeah, G-U-M-P. So it looks very similar to American football, but more with gymnastics and, in the movie, like, a significant lack of gravity in some ways, because some of those jumps are not possible. But um, <laughs> I'm thinking, like, Slam Ball right now. It's where not they have like and it's, stuff. Um, It's... Also, like I'm trying to remember, I haven't seen it in a long time, but still wearing like very similar to American football armor, maybe like slightly less padding. But it's funny because every time like I heard you talk about that, that's the first thing I thought of. But it's dramatically different. I absolutely love how chaotic it sounds. Oh yeah, I mean that's all these all these movie sports are like that, where it's like they don't think about all the all the the fine tuning and stuff. So like just chaos can happen and there's the the jankiest, weirdest play styles can happen. But that's so like, much fun. Like that's half the fun of developing a new sport based off of like yeah. an idea. Yeah, like like soccer or football as the rest of the world calls it has it has had like hundreds of years to to just develop and fine tune and everything. But then a movie comes out in nineteen eighty nine or whatever movie 
or whatever movie, whatever year it comes out. And then like, they're like, all right, let's start now. And I, I imagine that when like sports that are really big now first started out, it was like that. Like I've read that like early soccer had a lot of physicality and people like died playing because they would like, people would like seagull flock towards the ball and like jump on each other and beat each other up over it. So, you know, like who's to say that any one of these sports like competitive uh, human versus horse racing isn't going to be our <laughs> soccer in a couple hundred years. Oh God. Part of me wants that to happen. And part of me really doesn't. And I don't know which one's the right answer. <laughs> I want it to happen. I'm so bored with, I'm so bored with like these major sports that are like, it's, it's all down to a science. And like, I, I can't, I, I love just the chaos of, of like alternative sports. <laughs> See, I really love both um, just because I really like I like the challenge working in very specific constraints gives, especially to team play. Like for field hockey, it's the sport I've probably been playing the longest at this point. And there's if you've ever watched it. There are very specific rules. It's very stop and go in a lot of ways. But because of that, you have to really develop yourself as an athlete, really work on your handling skills, your agility, hand eye coordination and that's the challenge I really like of some established sports. But that's also a similar challenge you get. And again, these more alternative sports that in addition to kind of working you athletically, because these are all very demanding endeavors, it's also really fun because it kind of lets you creative problem solve kind of new constraints, new questions, and kind of learn to shape a sport communally in a very rapid contemporary way, which is really cool to watch. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we, we see that in, in the Quidditch community. If you look at uh, just a disclaimer or what, if this is even a disclaimer, but um, me and Danny play Quidditch uh, in the real world. <laughs> and the way it's been is that like you, you watch videos from like 2008 of people on push brooms and capes and, and like, playing really weirdly and stuff like that. And then you look at like the major league games now, uh, 12 years later, and it's like completely like an entirely different world because the way people have been pushing it and testing the limits and testing the rules and updating the rules and stuff like that. And I think I, I agree with you that that's kind of a natural progression as people take it more seriously, they want more structure. And then with more structure, it leaves less room for, janky tactics and, and weird things that are like i don't know just just weird like i imagine there's some rule and jugger uh that prevents teams from like just trying to shut down an entire other team by like standing over them and stuff like that i might not be i don't know but i imagine when it first started that there was a lot of stuff that wasn't written in the rules that people could do i mean that's i don't know for me that's something i find really fun to watch things grow and adapt um so as as frustrating as very strict constraints can be, I like the challenge that those can also add. So it's it's very much a give and take. And I think it's too situational to kind of give a blanket statement. And then there's the fun aspect of looking at how regional or, um, yeah, how regional variations come into play, like different countries' rules, different even townships' rules for different sports can really vary. And it's cool to kind of see how specific cultural locations can impact that so what you're saying is if we get some juggers and <laughs> we have them race some horses and then later after they're all done racing and really tired we put them on a field and they fight over a dog skull would the horses win or would the humans win this is assuming that the horses have weapons oh in that case the horses definitely win absolutely <laughs> i don't know i just go for the legs so uh, disclaimer, we do not support animal <laughs> abuse on this podcast. This is entirely hypothetical. These are horses that are uh, totally consenting to have this game. We're really starting strong with this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, we're going to be like the... <laughs> I hope we don't start as the, the horse abusing podcast. That's oh not what I want. <laughs> if any horses are listening, please come on to the podcast and defend yourself. Also sponsor us. Oh, oh no. <laughs> 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 well regardless my money's on the horses you give a horse a sword and it's all done but if you teach a horse to sword 
Yes, if you teach a horse a sword, then he'll never... Uh, uh, there, there's no way to even finish that one. <laughs> I, I want to so badly. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so going back to Jugger, I'm still a little... I think I just misheard something. So typically in the movie version of the game and how it initially started, whoever got the dog skull to this spike first wins. Yeah, when you basically in the movie, when you take the dog skull and you impale it on this spike, it's you, you can't see me right now, but I'm kind of miming it because I like to move my hands when I talk. But when you impale it on the skull, the game's over. Like whoever, whichever team did it wins. In the real life thing, it's that scores you a point. Okay, so how looking at a typical jugger game, what's the typical score looking like? Oh man, the typical score, I, I, I saw some high level games where the score was like, I don't think it's often that it goes above 10 points just because it's it's quite difficult to score because if you're a quick, you have to get through an entire team. And basically the way it is is that, you know, when you have a skull, when, you ha- when you're holding the skull, it handicaps you a little bit from doing like two arm tackles and stuff like that. Not that you want to do it on offense, mm-hmm. um, but because you're basically shorted one player. So the other team will always have the opportunity to have more people ready to defend. I've seen some insane plays where quicks will like dive and slide uh, through people's legs and under people to try to get it in there. And it's, it's a lot harder than it looks just because everyone's focused on that ball. Like you could be sparring with someone off on the side, but if you see the skull, the, the quick just run past you, you have to, you got to go back and take care of that or else they're going to score. Yeah. Okay. The quicks are the quicks from what I've seen. A lot of them are, uh, have or at least have some experience with rugby or similar things, although that's not that's not required. But from what I've seen from like some big teams in Germany or in Spain, is that a lot of quicks are rugby players. I was specifically reading about this Irish guy. I don't remember his name, but he was in the documentary who was a rugby player before he became a jugger player, and then he just stuck with jugger. Okay, so kind of similar to how you get a lot of folks that again played very physically, um, like very heavy physique physical contact sports kind of get into Quidditch, at least in this general area. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That makes sense. It's a really good movie, though. Alright, I think <laughs> I might finally have to game and watch it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Could not recommend it enough. And the soundtrack is on Spotify. It's crazy. It's under there as uh, uh, Blood of Heroes. It's such a good soundtrack, too. It's like got a lot of ambient like uh, post-apocalypse noises and sounds, sorry, not noises. <laughs> And I usually use it to, uh, I usually use it when I'm reading like SCPs uh, because it's really like off, it's really like off putting and like unsettling and stuff like that. So it's just perfect for that. So for a while on my last FM, it was like one of my top listened to artists was just the, the guy who composed the soundtrack for Blood of Heroes. Oh, cool. See, I love doing that kind of like ambient noise, kind of like settings establishment for when I'm reading different kind of stories. Like, sci-fi or fantasy stuff like i love setting the tone for kind of like whatever situation i'm in yeah yeah i mean it's can't be understated how how fun it is when you have like all your senses devoted to a topic that's why whenever i'm reading whenever i read a book i like to listen to music that's like uh that's kind of related to it so like i'm reading we're reading metro 2033 in our book club right now uh danny and i and I listen to the soundtrack or I listen to the audiobook and it's fantastic. Yeah, and then when I read stuff like The Hobbit, I like to set pieces of paper on fire so it smells like there's Oh yeah, that's <laughs> No, that's not true. Are are you okay? I'm just joking. Um, by the way, for the movie, uh Joan Chen is one of the main characters, if I'm pronouncing her name right. Uh I think she's pretty big. And then there's another guy who I'm honestly trying to remember. Uh, he played pretty big roles in other movies. Oh, Rutger Hauer, if I'm pronouncing it right. Uh, he's a Dutch actor, and he's been in a couple of movies. One of them is Blade Runner. Wait, who did he play in Blade Runner? Um, in Blade Runner, he played... I don't know. I'm looking it up right now. Because <laughs> you can tell me as many celebrity names as you want, and I promise you it's going to go in one ear and out the next. I am so hopeless at remembering names i'm looking it up right now as we speak and he played 
God damn it. I don't know. <laughs> All right. I haven't so actually seen Blade work. Runner. <laughs> Everyone go look up. What was it? Rector Howard? Yeah. Oh, he played Roy Batty. Oh, okay. I haven't seen Blade Runner, but I assume cool guy probably. Eh. Anyway. <laughs> um, oh, oh, really, really weird. Really weird deep cut too. One of the main characters on the team that Joan Chen is on actually plays Private Pile in Full Metal Jacket. And while watching the movie, I saw that guy and I was like, he looks really, really like similar to someone. I don't know. Like, and then I looked it up and I'm like, holy shit, it's Private Pile. <laughs> so before this turns into a uh, movie review podcast, were there any other kind of like elements about Druggers that really struck you as kind of like very unique like anything, well, one particular thing that's really kind of gripping you about the sport because you seem really excited about it. And what's that one thing that's really digging at you? It's a combination of weapons and 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 ball sport. Like what's not to love? You you know you don't need to be like obviously you need to be agile and you need to have endurance, but you don't need to be physically strong if you play anything other than the quick. You just need to be good with your weapon. And so I've seen practices where it's a combination of like ball sport practice and like martial arts and so people will like players will borrow from different styles of martial arts in order to get better at their craft you know whoever if you choose the sword and shield you're going to want to do some kind of martial style that is that uses a sword and shield and if you're using a long sword or double swords and so on and so forth it's you gotta be able to outsmart your opponent and because if you get if you get touched with their weapon, you're down. So it's you got to have like a mind for both ball sport and uh, martial arts, which is really cool. That's I think that's what grips me the most about it. And it's just it's just it's so unique. You know what I mean? No, I get you. So judging by what you've seen so far, what position do you want to play in Juggers? Oh, <laughs> I want the chain. Yeah, I was going to say that, too. <laughs> that or the like, sword and shield. Like, those are just the two best options on the board. Yeah, maybe maybe a quick if I can if I can do more squats and get more leg strength. But listen, I, am I have asthma, happy so. <laughs> to race you in squat challenges. We're currently doing that um, for our listeners. We are currently doing that one right now. And I'm leading by, I think, 100 squats. <laughs> uh, 90. I actually did 10 before we started recording. So. You can oh, 90. That. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to just do a quick 90 more after this. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really feeling it now because we did challenges like sit-ups and push-ups before, and I was leading in both of those. Uh, and now that we're finally doing the one thing that I really don't like and I really <laughs> suck at, I'm really just... I'm really just eating shit here. See, this is what happens when you do 11 years of competitive gymnastics, and I think... This would be my 13th year of field hockey where you're squatting most of the time. You get really strong thighs. Yeah, I remember when you were teaching me how to play field hockey that one summer. Um, and the next day I was like, I can't feel my legs. I would also like to point out that y'all were not playing field hockey. Like, I think, I, okay, so at one point, so me, Hassan, and our friend Josh were just kind of dicking around with a bunch of different sports. Um, Hi, Josh. Field- if you're listening Hi. to this. <laughs> Come on to the podcast and sponsor us. And at one point, someone was... So I'm a goalie in field hockey. One of them was wearing my helmet. Someone was wearing the lower pads. And Hassan was carrying Josh. And they were just running around like... They were trying to joust somebody. It was... It was not field hockey, but it was very entertaining. It was field hockey, whether you like it or not. That's... I think it's Juggers version of field hockey. Yeah. (laughs) Which, um, I wonder if that's a rule. Can people climb on each other in juggers? If you play juggers, jugger, sorry, um, get on this podcast and let us know. Can people climb on each other? Can you like climb on your teammate and jump off of their shoulders? Like, can the quick climb on some big player's shoulder, jump over everyone else, and then slam dunk the the skull in the in the in the goal? Please, uh, can I just jump know. on somebody and take them out because that that is what I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> just like my goal in this sport. <laughs> well, I think we are probably getting close to wrapping up this episode this week's episode. Yeah, we we ran out of content to talk about like a while ago. <laughs> yeah, no, now we're just shooting the shit and you guys have to listen to it. So, yeah. 
Um, thank you again so much for tuning in. We really appreciate everyone listening to this and getting this chance to explore podcasting with us. And we hope to see a massive increase in both Struggers activity, especially in the New England northeast area of the United States, hint, hint, and also a dramatically larger increase in human participation, or horse, depends on who's listening, in the uh, man versus horse race. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, tune in for next time when we talk about two more sports. We haven't picked them yet, but we will. Uh, <laughs> if you have any suggestions, anything you want us to talk about, uh, go ahead and leave a comment, uh, like, smash that subscribe button. We're not on YouTube yet, but we will be. And yeah, we're out on Apple Podcasts, I believe, as well as, I believe as well as on Google Podcasts, if that's a thing. I just have Anchor automatically do it. <laughs> uh, we're we're on a couple form. We're on a couple platforms. If you look for us, you'll probably find us. Uh, we're gonna start a YouTube channel soon, probably social media. Uh, so look out for that and uh, stay tuned. Thank you, and have a great week. See you soon. Take care. See you.